I will jump in the water and grab you when you're drowning kind of love. I will stop you from crossing into the street because you're not paying attention because you're on your phone. Like that kind of love. I will walk up flights and flights of stairs to feed old people kind of love. I will go to Memphis when I know my life has been threatened kind of love, Dr. King. I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to say I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Get back up and go across the bridge again, John Lewis kind of love. The kind of love that is the kind of love that Rabbi Jesus had for us to feed the hungry people when they didn't have a credit card, to give, to heal them when they didn't have health care. Hello, dear friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and this is Let's Give a Damn. On this show, I have conversations with all kinds of amazing humans that have two things in common. They all give a damn, and they're all striving to live meaningful lives. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. I'm so incredibly glad you're here. Before I introduce you to this week's incredible guest, and I mean that Jackie Lewis is so incredible, you'll get to meet her in a minute. Before I introduce you, a quick word. Don't forget to check in with your strong friends. Don't forget to check in with your happy friends. The friends that look like they have their shit together, check in on them too. A quick trigger warning that I'm going to briefly talk about suicide, so skip ahead a minute or two if needed. You may have seen this past week that Chesley Christ passed away. Chesley was a beautiful 30-year-old former Miss USA title holder, a lawyer, an Emmy-nominated correspondent who got to talk to famous people every single day for a living. That was her job. She looked happy and put together. In this past weekend, just a couple of hours before she jumped to her death from the 29th floor of her apartment building in Midtown Manhattan, she posted a photo with a caption that read, may this day bring you rest and peace. Two, three hours later, she's gone. We talk about mental health and suicide quite a bit on this show. For many reasons. One, it's important to talk about these things, to normalize talking about these things so that those struggling feel like they can talk with us, around us, about these things. But we also talk about it because suicide has affected my life, our family, and you and your families. I've heard the stories. And you and I both know that it's easier to check in on our friends and family and even strangers when things are bad, when they look bad, when they feel bad. But what about when things look good? What about when things feel great and the person looks great? What then? So do this today for me. Next time you go outside, look around you. Obviously when people are around. And when you see a person laughing, Say to yourself in your head, they've probably got some shit going on. When you see someone smiling, say the same thing in your head. When you see someone with a straight face, say that same thing in your head. When you see someone crying, maybe, say the same thing in your head. We're all going through stuff. We've all got shit going on. Friends, take care of yourselves. And if you can, if you have a little bit of capacity, 
take care of others too. And remember that if you're ever in trouble and are headed down a path of potential no return and you have no one to get help from, please email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I will do my best to help. But please know that it is much better to seek help from someone that is around you, someone that knows you really well, someone that can be there with you physically. I love you. I need you here. We need you here. There's no easy way to segue out of that, but I did want to bring that to light because I've been thinking about Chesley, may she rest in peace. And I want us to do our best to get the help we need when we need it and to be very open and honest about how we're doing. Coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, we're gonna talk a lot about that in today's conversation. So allow me to introduce you to my amazing guest this week, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Jackie is an author, activist, preacher, public theologian, and the first woman and first black minister at Middle Church here in New York City. This is a huge deal given that Middle Church was founded in 1628 and that slave owners, actual slave owners, have pastored this church hundreds of years ago. And now hundreds of years later, a black woman is the senior minister at this church. It's, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Jackie curates Revolutionary Love, an annual conference focused on activism and imagining a more perfect union. She has been featured in the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Ebony, Essence, and she's appeared on CBS, CNN, NBC, and many other media platforms like these. Jackie also hosts an incredible podcast called Love Period, where she has conversations with amazing humans like Titus Burgess, Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, Wajahat Ali, and many others about their lives and work and our urgent need for radical love in our times. And last but not least, Jackie released an incredible book called Fierce Love recently, a few months ago. Fierce Love, a bold path to ferocious courage and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. And we spend a good chunk of our conversation today talking about this book and how we as damn givers can embrace this kind of fierce love. This is a fantastic conversation. I quickly felt like I was talking to an old friend in this conversation. You're going to love Jackie. Before we begin, as always, a quick reminder that you can, anytime and for any reason, email me at hello at letsgiveadam.com. You can ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or maybe how much you hate the show. Anything goes. I just love hearing from you. And now, let's get right into my conversation with the fiercely loving Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Let's go. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, it is so great to have you on the Let's Give a Damn podcast today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And Nick, I do give a damn. So it seems like oh, it's good casting. <laughs> I know you do. I'm so excited. The, the more I learned about your story and this book in particular, which we're going to discuss for part of the time today, I mean, it's just clear. I, I didn't know you, honestly, until, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I'd heard of you 
in our previous uh, four years in Nashville before moving to New York City. But then when I came here, your name comes up all over the place for a lot of obvious reasons. You give a damn just in general, but about this wonderful city that we live in. And you have so much you know, rich history here and such rich, to use the, the, a term that you and I know and that probably many people know, rich ministry here to so many kinds of people. So I'm so thrilled to have you on. Uh, again, thanks for... Thanks for joining me. So we're, we're going to get to your incredible book, Fierce Love. Uh, for those that can't see it, it's, it's in the background. I'm holding it in my hand. I've got the copy in my hand. You've got a copy on your desk. You've got this big thing behind you, Fierce Love, this really, really helpful book that um, has already taught me so much. And there are so many, again, once we get to it, I will share the, the parallels. You and I have been on the same track even without even knowing it. I, wow. I, have, I have used such similar language for years within Let's Give a Damn, and it actually gives me a lot of hope knowing that you, someone of your uh, stature and experience, was is thinking along the same lines. So I'm so, so excited for your book. I hope everybody listening gets your book. But before we get to that, I'm not just interested in what you're doing now. I'm interested in how you got here, the kinds of people, places, and things that made you who you are today. So I always love to go back to the story. As much or as little as you want to tell me, I would love to hear about your upbringing. Who shaped you? How were you shaped? Where were you shaped? What are the kinds of things you encountered that, again, made you who you are today? Go for it, and I'll I'll interrupt, and, and we'll go back and forth here, but I'd love to hear from your heart, from your story, how you got here. Oh, man, that's such a, that's a good thing to, to, to be asked today. You have these days where you're really feeling your ancestors, and today, mm. maybe because it's the first day of Black History Month, which... You know, every day is Black History, but I do find myself thinking often in, in February Nick, about my particular Black history, you know, my, my particular um, journey uh, from wherever my folks were born. I don't really know, but uh, they look like they are Indigenous folks and African folks from Mississippi. My mom is uh, one of three children who lived in Rollville with their mother. My mud deer, we were mud deer before Tyler Palmer, before Tyler Perry. Yes. Uh, uh, her mother. And then her mother is one of 13 siblings. They lost two, but they grew up with 13. She, the only girl in the house wow. with 12 boys. Holy cow. Um, and her mother was big mama. And so they grew up in Ruleville, sharecropping, picking cotton. Mom was picking cotton when she was four years old. Um, her mother was a candy striper. They, she was the middle child, and so she helped raise her little sister, but also cook for her big brother. So they're deep in Ruleville country. Um, Mom sang in the choir with Fannie Lou Hamer uh, at the, the St. James Memorial Chapel in Ruleville. And my dad was born in Meridian, and so also grew up in Mississippi, where those three boys uh, were killed, um, Cheney Goodwin and Schwerner, in the Freedom Summer, Freedom Riding. Um, in fact... James Cheney is buried at my dad's family plot in Oak wow. City, Mississippi, which means some kind of connection there. But he was one of two kids. Uh, mother remarried. He had two stepsisters. And so they were poor, but not as poor as my mom. And I think, I think that they're like the red clay of the Mississippi Delta is in my body, Nick. And the Wood chopping of my dad in Meridian, Mississippi feels like it's in my body. They both were churchy kids. They loved God. They loved the church. Um, they were 
precocious in some kind of way. My dad went to the Air Force to escape poverty. My mom moved to Nebraska to escape poverty, and that's where they met. So they did that great migration that uh, Isabel Wickerson talks about in Cast. Yes. And they met each other, uh, had a thrill on Blueberry Hill, and uh, loved dancing together and um, got pregnant and got married. So I like to say I'm a preconceived notion. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> my dad was in the Air Force, so he went to Morocco, and my mom went back to Mississippi uh, to have me. And I, so I was raised by these old black people who, for whom Emma was their baby, raising a baby. And we were there together in Mississippi until my dad came back. And they were these just kind of um, fiercely loving parents, you know, um, sacrificial in terms of piano lessons and music lessons and clarinet and all the things, making sure we got them before they got their extra coat. And they were um, tough on sassy they're not they're not enjoy sassy children and they were very protective we are not going to expose you to a racist world we are going to incubate you as best as we can from that so a story i tell in the book um of being you know a kindergartner on the air force base in new hampshire and having a girl move from mississippi a white chick little girl and decide to call me a nasty n-word in, in front of my friends. And this is the story that explains my parents. I, I go home and tell them the, I mean, she called me a bad word. My mother says, it's silly if people think that you're not as good as they are because you're a Negro. I was a Negro then. I'm aging myself. Um, and my dad goes to the Air Force commander and demands an apology. So I got racism silly. Uh, Mom and I prayed. And dad's activism. And that's, that's how I became... <laughs> Myself, I think, a kind of the Air Force Base was everybody's everybody. You make friends with anybody. You make family wherever you are. So that's, I think, my multicultural roots. Uh, the early wounding of being raced by Lisa uh, makes me feel like it's my job to make that better for the world. And then Dr. King is killed, and my parents are traumatized, and I am too. And I feel clear when he's killed, Nick, that I'm supposed to be a drum major for peace. Um, I didn't run in the ministry because I was a girl and you aren't supposed to, we thought. But I think this is my vocation since I was a little kid uh, to try to make an anti-racist, economically just, girls can, boys can too, um, all the love is all the love kind of world. It's been my job, I think, since I was nine years old. When I read fascinating stuff. So many questions, so many things to tease out here. But when I read your on your website, your bio begins this way by talking about how you fell in love for the first time when you were eight years old. Yeah. Not in love with a boy, not in love with a thing. You're talking about this big idea of God, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, you're talking about ministry has always been your vocation. Uh, Anti-racism, justice-oriented living has always been who you are. Yeah. Did it start? Did it start because at a such at such a young age, you encountered this humongous love? I think so, Nick. I think, and I think the love it was a humongous love. It really was. I mean, and. You know, the first time I took Eucharist or communion, we might say, yeah. as a Christian 
which is really the Jewish, you know, uh, Passover meal in a way, made smaller. But I was sitting next to my mom on the church bench, and I can smell her Jergens lotion and windsong smell in my brain. The bread comes by, and she says, Jackie, this bread means God will never leave you. Mm. And this cup means God will always love you. Mm. So I, church was fun. We got to sing songs from hair and gospel music and classical music. We had barn dances in the basement. We ran the church. Little kids ran the church. So the container in which we were doing religion was just um, juicy and joyful and fun and not punitive and full of grace. And that's my first experience of what God is. And also God is mommy's pressed hair um, black women will know, and the smell of that, and the shining of the shoes, and churches, your Easter dress, and your Easter pageant, and, you know, God is, um, all the songs you can sing in there, um, from the sound of music to gospel to Handel's Messiah. So there was just a beautiful um, conflation of art and joy and justice and fun that actually is what I've taken with me as I've done other churches. And it's what middle is like in a way as well. When you were all, almost nine years old, you already pointed out that that is when Dr. King was assassinated. Yeah. Where were you geographically at that point? Were you on, was that when you were living on the military base or where, like, I guess I'm wondering what were the kinds of things happening around you? I mean, this, yeah. this, this girl that called you that word and you having to wrestle through that, like what, what was happening? Cause that's, yeah. Like that was obvious. That was before me, but I admire Dr. King so much, and for so many reasons, and love that his children are still carrying on his legacy in so many yeah. amazing ways. Yeah. What was going on at that point as a nine-year-old girl experiencing that? And I mean, this 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 event that truly and irrefutably changed the world, yes. not just here in the U.S., but the world. world. Yeah, this this I'm... this man who was hated who was being hunted by the FBI and who was being hunted by regular people and who was being hated by Christians and 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 antagonized and persecuted in so many ways is now his name is being used properly his name is being used in a you know you've got uh, republicans uh, misquoting him to support their horrific bills and horrific ideas i mean his legacy is so insane and crazy and big but you were there for the mo you know you were alive and as a young girl when that happened what were you, can you think back and tell me what you were feeling and thinking at that moment? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, well, you know, we had lived in New Hampshire and lived in Michigan, uh, and they were, you know, happy, well-adjusted white communities with one black kid, or, so to speak, or maybe two. And then we moved to Chicago uh, when I was, you know, seven or so, and that we went into a, a lived with my uncle and my aunt and like a big so to say three level family house yeah. with lots of cousins it's just amazing um and so when dr king is shot though i'm almost nine uh it's april and i turn nine in may and i live in a black community that has transitioned right from a white and black community so it's the neighbors have moved out you know we're not having my neighborhood isn't having race wars, but Chicago is, you know, so take ourselves to, you know, 68, 67, there's tension, there's gang wars, there's, you know, uh, white flight, there's, you know, 
uh, lines being drawn around neighborhoods where black people can't buy houses. Uh, it's a, uh, you know, raisin in the sun type thing going on. So when King is killed, it is a, a, a spark on a, on a fire that's ready to, uh, to combust. And so there's violence in the streets and anger and sorrow across the nation. And Chicago is one of those places. So literally in our nice working class, but nice neighborhood, there were suddenly guns being shot off, you know, and cars being pushed over. And so that day, that night, we had been on a field trip out to the nice little, you know, let's go see some gardens. And when we came back into the city, it's almost like we trans, we transcended a, a wall mm. of nice garden, little kids doing their thing to, you know, the, everything we saw in the news, the repeats of the news, you know, fires and all that. And I was afraid. So my sister and I were hiding under our bed in our bedroom from the bullets and this feeling of you weren't safe to be standing up. Uh, so in the windows, you know, so it was it was a traumatic experience to literally be on a bus and get the news that the king was killed. My teacher's crying, the bus driver's crying. When I get home, my mom and dad are devastated. And so your little self is outraged, crushed, traumatized, and at the same time activated. I thought there is just no way that this is how the world is supposed to be. And all the things, Nick, that they had tried to protect us from, you know, come rushing in now. Four little girls killed in a church, you know, Emmett Till lynched. Oh, that's what that was on the Jet magazine, you know? Mm. Like, the stories start locking into place. And truly, my mom's Uncle George, who rocked me to sleep when I was in Mississippi, had been working with Fannie Lou Hamer to register people to vote. And so we had that story, but we didn't have... Fannie Lou Hamer got her butt beat in jail, right? We didn't have beaten more than once. And we didn't have Uncle George getting shot at for trying to get people to vote. Like, we didn't have yet Pettus Memorial Bridge. And, and then so suddenly your eyes are open and your heart is cracked open that there's so much hatred based on what color people are. And the and that it and the hatred, you know, the, then the all the all the scenes you and I can put together of the kids at the lunchroom counter and the ketchup bottle and the salt pick and being pushed down and beaten and we can put together, you know, Jimmy and his mom and dad running from the cops and the cops coming and shooting him in the stomach and killing him. We can put together Rodney King. We we can put it together now, George Floyd. Like you just can't believe. But you have to, that just because someone is black or Latinx or Muslim or Jewish, that the world can just hate them and kill them. One of the, one of the wild things about what you're sharing is, yeah, what, what was happening back then, whether we're talking about Dr. King or, or Rodney King or the lunchroom, like all these things that happen. I've read about them, right? I've read about them extensively. They're in books. And you would think that, I don't want to jump too far ahead yet, but you would think that all these years, all these examples, all these books, 
uh, lectures and classes and and really helpful anti-racist you know uh, programs and materials all throughout the last few decades. You would think that we would have, with all of the the technological advances that we've experienced and all of the you know the the, the education and everything that we would have gone beyond this, right. and yet George Floyd is happening in our day, right. and yet three four days ago in Orlando, actual Nazis. Yeah. are standing on the side of the road calling for the the extermination of Jews. Today, 2022, yeah. they're not arrested. They're not being put away as traitors. They are free as a bird on the yeah. side of the road calling for the extermination of a race of people based on their race. Yeah. This is insane to me. And this yeah. is why more than ever, we need the message that that you're bringing and that so many others are bringing. Because you know, going back to Dr. King's example, and I, we don't we don't hide behind this quote uh, as 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 cowards or as wimps, but there is so much tremendous truth behind it that darkness can't drive out darkness. I would love, honestly, I would. There's a part of me, a really carnal, horrible, shitty part of me that wishes that darkness could drive out darkness. In other words, we're gonna fight fire with fire. Right. You're gonna be an asshole on the side of the road with your flag. We're gonna come after you. You know, like there's a part of me. Because yeah. we've seen all these like movies and we got these stories, these big battles, Lord of the Rings. Like if you want to yeah. take down evil, you've got to go after them with bigger forces, right? But the truth of the matter is that just brings up more problems and just perpetuates the problem. Dr. King is right. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can. Hate can't drive out hate. Only love can. Like it's such a crazy idea that I find myself not even fully – like I, I want to believe it. Right. I, I, I do believe it conceptually and sometimes I'm like, nah. How, how, how does that work? Because they just keep stepping all over us. They keep coming up with more ways to oppress and suppress people. Again, not in 1968 at a hotel today. room. Today, like right now, it's wild. It's, it is so, you know, it is so heartbreaking, uh, you know, soul crushing. And it is true that I, who believe in peace and love every now and then, just want to kick somebody's ass. Like, you're yeah. just like, I am going to go and kick their ass and teach them that they are wrong. Oh, man, I can't. That's not, that's not really the right thing. But, you know, it is our, our impulse to, to rise up against what is wrong with power. Yeah. And I think King was talking about power. I don't know what made me, every now and then, Nick, I go down rabbit holes, like I'm working on a sermon or a talk or something. And I went down a Gandhi rabbit hole the other day. His birthday, mm. I don't know. And I just was like, just reading again about this little Indian petite dude and the hunger strikes and the revolution of values to demand humanity with love and nonviolence. And how he did that. And, and of course, he also was killed in a place where he was trying to do resistance around, around um, bigotry and was killed by like a Malcolm X type story. You know, like we are going to, we are not doing you. You're too nice now. We're going to kill you. And so what does it mean? I mean, it's the history of humankind that we have to look at and, and really see that love has always triumphed in the long run. Hmm. In the short run, people die. Evil is evil. Evil evil kills a nation of people in the Holocaust. And the, and the world watched. That was evil. Yeah. 
Yeah. Evil stole America from the Lenape and from the Muskego. And the, all, like, it's crazy town. We, like, we stole it. Evil stole it. Evil stole bodies off of their land and brought them in ships and chains to this nation to build. That's evil. Evil threw cans at, the, at, at Matthew Shepard to kill him because he was queer. I mean, that's evil. And so we can't pretend like that, that evil doesn't exist. It does. It's evil wanting to resurrect itself in Florida against Jews. And we who believe in freedom and who, we who say we believe in love have to be just as powerful and more creative. We have to build collaborations and coalitions. We have to be allies and accomplices in a movement of love and justice. We can't afford. I have, I have, I pick a bone with progressives sometimes. Like, are you, are you, can I really vet you? Are you really just like me? Do we sync up on all the issues? Okay, no, we don't have time for that. We've got to find a way to put love in the center of our politics, of our ethics, of our theologies, of our philosophies, of the work we do. And we've got to find a way to stand against hatred in this Ubuntu way that if someone's coming for you, they're coming for me. And I'm not having it. And that's what we have to do with, with, with a force that is the force of God. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Back to your story for a second, because I want to uh, inch toward, you know, you getting into really, I mean, it's just, it's a fascinating story because, you know, I, it seems like when you were younger, you know, post Dr. King's assassination, you were feeling all these, you know, again, you didn't, you weren't just, you weren't just feeling traumatized. You were also uh, uh, activated, catalyzed into working, right? But you're also a little, you're a black girl. You're a young black, black girl. girl. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and you're not afforded, you're not even, women in general, white or black, weren't afforded a lot of privileges. Let, I mean, definitely not if you're black. So you're figuring out how to, you know, what's your career going to be like? What, what did you, what did you do? What, what were the kinds of things you did to lead you to the point where you were like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be an activist and a pursuer of justice by way of becoming a minister. Yeah. What, what, what did that look like? Cause you, again, with your leadership abilities, I have no doubt that you could, you know, you could be the CEO of a really big company. You could be leading a huge grassroots, you know, activism nonprofit. You could be doing a lot of things and yet you chose to become a minister. Um, how did that happen? Well, I mean, I, first I would say God chose me and, and I, I mean, then I would say God chooses all of us. And so let me come back to that. Yeah. 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 It isn't just to be a minister, but I did really feel that I was walking toward finally something that was carved out for me to do. I don't know why today that makes me feel teary, but it, I, I didn't pick it. It picked me and and it wasn't like I ran from it and that was bad. I just, it wasn't ready for me to say yes, right? So I'm little and I think I'm supposed to be a minister. I'm 14 at a camp. And I think, I think I'm supposed to be a minister. And my minister says, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know you're a girl. Let's see. If it's real, it'll come back to you, right? So then I did other things. You know, I went to school and I majored in business and I sold copiers for Eastman Carter Company. And in that place, I volunteered to be a big sister, big brother. All among my life, I did March of Dimes and, um, you know, uh, um, Against Hunger and Bought Cows and the Heifer Project, like, um, you know, Cesar Chavez supporting, like, all along my life as a teenager, I was doing justice stuff in the ways I could. And it, in the corporate world, I did justice stuff in the ways I could. 
by the time I was 30, I was working for Eastman Kodak Company in Philly and went to church with a friend. And I, I was doing this all the time, Nick. I'd say, hi, yeah, oh, great sermon. How did you know you were supposed to go to seminary? <laughs> pastor, right. It's kind of weird. Uh, but this pastor, I said, how did you know? And he said, let's, let's go have lunch and talk about it. So he bought lunch for me and my friend, and we just talked about it. And when he was finished lunching with me, he said, oh, I can see that. And that's all I needed. So I had been selling copiers on the West Coast to Apple and Memorex and Unisys and all this kind of stuff. And that was great, making good money. And I moved. I just picked up and moved to the East Coast and went to Princeton. And it was just, yeah, like the best two and a half years hurry up and do your MDiv because you got to go to work uh, of my life. I had such a good time and I felt, Nick, all the things I had done, I did sell copiers. I did have a big territory. I did, I was an HR manager. So the people skills, the sales skills, the strategy, the budgeting, everything I did when, before I went to seminary was education to be a minister. Yeah. All of it carved into me things I needed to know. And so then I went to school. Yeah. You are now, not to skip too far ahead, but you are now uh, the senior pastor yeah. at Middle Church, Middle Collegiate Church, right? And this church has been around. So this is what's fascinating. I'm in the middle of reading, or not in the middle, I'm on the tail end of reading uh, Clint Smith's uh, latest book, How the Word is Passed. Okay. Love Clint. Clint was uh, uh, Clint was on my podcast way early on, and this book, How the Word Is Passed, should be required reading for every single. I, when I mean every single, I mean every person, black, white, and everybody should be reading How the Word Is Passed. What a what a phenomenal account of where we've been, huh. how we got here, and hopefully where we're going. And, and, and in the, this, the, 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 the last third of the book, he finally gets to New York, where we are right now, New York City. They're looking at the history of this place. You know, the Dutch yeah. bought the island of Manhattan for the equivalent of $60 from the Lenape natives. Yeah. And this is where we are. This is where your church is. Yes. Started in 1628. Yes. <laughs> and what I find so fascinating is that the church that you a black woman, are now the senior pastor of. Slave owners have sat in those pews. Oh, oh yeah. Been ministers. Yeah. They've been... Let's, let's go a step further. <laughs> let's, get, let's get that straight. Slave owners <laughs> yeah. have stood in that pulpit yes. to tell people yeah. who God is, yeah. what God is saying, how people should live, yeah. do this, don't do that. Slave owners. Yeah. The fuck? What the fuck is right? That's good. <laughs> I love that. So I say I'm reparations, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no, no. You are the embodiment. Yeah. Jackie, that's, yes, let's laugh about that. But also you, this is what this, our day is figuring out. Because uh, I've always said, you know, I've, I've had the reparations conversation with all kinds of people over the last few years. And I'm fully in favor of all the reparations to Native Americans, to Black Americans, to everybody. Like we need to account for the shit that we've done, whether we participated in it in real time or not, but you are, that is a form of reparations for, you know, in, you know, hundreds of years later for you to be the first, not only just woman, but also black woman to be the minister of this church. Tell me about that experience. Cause that must feel, 
I'm sure it's hard. I'm sure there've been really, really, really hard days, weeks, months, and years. But also, what an enormous privilege to be part of this very, I mean, good and bad legacy that this church has had, right? And it's still here. It's still standing, not just the physical building, but the people that want to be part of it. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, it's surreal, to be frank. Um, the, the, the Dutch Reformed Church in America, that are those are the people who bought the land from the Lenape. Um, they are the people who were able to keep their church because when the King of England came and trounced on you know, New Amsterdam and called it, called it New York, but they took it when it was Manhattan. And uh, this church is, 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 is the beginning of the Reformed Church in America to the denomination. I came to study my church. I came to study Middle Church. I came to study how a middle-aged white man from Middle America, Michigan, Gordon Jott, with bell bottoms and curly hair, who had been a professional clown, who was white, white, not kind of white, could have a, a multiracial church. And it wasn't really multiracial, but it was white with a significant bunch of black folks, two Chinese people and five Latinx people. Who who has a multiracial church in the in America when 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour? So I came to study him and had studied other clergy, uh, Glide Memorial, folks who were doing this work. And when I studied them, they fell in love with me and they hired me to, to succeed him, and I fell in love with them. And I don't know how to describe what has happened over the last, I'll say 85 was Gordon, so you know the last 50 years of a kind of a white enclave, opening the doors to people living and dying with HIV AIDS, mm. feeding programs, you know, taking care of the poor kids. And, and this is the, you know, the East Village was a tenement town in New York, poor Polish kids with no toothbrushes, um, really marrying, supporting H, uh, LGBTQIA community and becoming a Black Lives Matter, like enclave. I mean, when I first started saying Black Lives Matter after Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin, some of the people in the church said to me, like, why do you talk about race all the time? And I said, because race matters. Everything's about race. Mm. Everything is about race. And my church came along, you know, when George Zimmerman was acquitted for killing Trayvon Martin, my white classical choir bought hoodies so they could wear hoodies in solidarity with all of us doing hoodies. Like all of us, our babies took pictures with the signs, I am not dangerous. I mean, we, this church got in it. They got in it, in in immigration, in sanctuary, in um, LGBTQ justice, anti-guns, pro-woman's choice. My church understands that our religion is not about us and God, it's about us and each other. And I'm so honored to be their leader that, that this place that was born in bigotry, to be honest, right, and born in... Um, you know, greed, um, we're going to take this land, is a bastion of hope and love and justice. And there are four of us, four churches, uh, different personalities, but all trying to do love in a way that is positive and affirming. So it is. it has been an interesting journey. And we had a fire uh, in December of 2020. I think you know that, Nick. Yes. And so right now we're all kind of 
trying to figure out what we do about rebuilding a headquarters for Middle Church uh, in the context of COVID and the world and economic downfall. Um, but it is the best job I've ever had. I love being the pastor of this beautiful community of people who are revolutionary in their love and in their justice. And now we are as Asian as we are Latinx, as Black as we are white. I think maybe there's a small majority of Black and white people over the Asians and Latinx, but we are fully ethnic, diverse, gender diverse, class diverse, theologically diverse uh, place that is looks like heaven <laughs> to me. I mean, like what more can you ask for? I love that. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about your church, and I need to I need to visit uh, very soon. I, I will. Well, one more thing regarding your way of living and your theology before we jump into the book. Because I think it's super important. It'll help clarify what, as we jump into the book and talk about this fierce love and what it likes, to, what it what it means to to love ourselves, each other, and others with this love. You're a a, a universalist, yes, progressive, yeah. Christian and pastor, lefty, lefty. lefty. <laughs> yes. I love it. Explain. Uh, I mean, I, I think people generally know what. Uh, being a universalist means generally, mm-hmm. not, not not super specifically. I'd love for you to get specific for a second because the majority of people, if they are Christian, they probably come from a tradition where they were taught that uh, only a few get in, right? That God uh, is a God of love, but also like equally a God of judgment, and uh, don't fuck up or fuck around because He's coming for you, um, <laughs> and. And it, it, I mean, just, I mean, just so much guilt and so much shame and so many, so many of the things that I did when I was younger, before I grew up and started asking the questions that I was never allowed to when I was younger, so many things that I did, the ways I acted out because of shame, because I felt so guilty about being who I was, who I am. And these problems just mounted and they just, they, they kept getting worse and worse because I kept trying to repress, you know, it doesn't matter what it was, things I wanted to say, things I wanted to do, uh, ways I wanted to be. And so a lot of the people, when they understand God or Christianity uh, or evangelicalism, whatever, they're, they associate it with guilt and shame. And this, again, this big judgmental God that died on the cross for your sins, if you don't ask him to come into your heart, you're gone after you die. And that's not what you believe. That's not what I believe. I can't believe that anymore. I did believe that and it has driven many people to their physical deaths, um, again, out of guilt and shame and just all the things that come along with living under this big shadow of, of don't mess up or else. It's a horrible way to live, whether it's with a spiritual being or the physical people that we live around, that live around us. So explain that. Explain your universalism, and then we will jump into the book, because I think having that context will really help us go into this. Thank you, Nick. I'm sorry to for you, for me, for anyone listening, I feel sorry for any of us for whom God was used as a weapon, for whom God was used mm. as a litmus test or a you know a boundary keeper. Um, and and so you know, I would like to explain this on two levels, and one would be really, really super personal. And I'll go there first. You know, as you said, I fell in love with God when I was eight years old. 
So the child God that my mom and dad gave me, like the God that they gave me to believe in, right? I didn't, I didn't know who God was. A wonderful writer named Anna Maria Rizzuto wrote a book called The Birth of the Living God. We, we get God. Get, God is given to us like, sorry y'all, like a pacifier, like a bottle, like a blanket, like a kiki, like a science project, you know, a developmentally appropriate, here is, here is God. Here is something for you to believe in. Yes. Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor. Whatever, right? Um, don't lie. You know, we, we get a little canon from our parents, our guardians, our grandmoms. Th- this is what it is. And you go, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And they give it to you uh, in a way that is appropriate for a child because they kind of intuit that. But they give you also concrete child stuff. Good, bad, black, white, angel, devil, heaven, hell. And that's a certain level of faith. You know, that's a certain kind of faith. Um, some of those psychologists that I study, I'm a psychologist, uh, Nick, but, you know, concrete operations, clear, straight, boom, boom, dyad, that's easy to ingest. But then you grow up, you and I grow up, and you're like, what? 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 You know, you start going, what? Why is that bad? I don't know when that's bad, you know? <clears throat> and there's, And sometimes we're not met as young people developing with a nuanced faith. So people leave the church or they hate God or they think God hates them. And that's worse. That God hates me. Ugh, right. I'm a worm. And that all that stuff in there, you know, like Augustine, why are we worms? You know, what, what's wrong with you, Calvin? What is it that made us think that God hates us? And, And then, but, but, but loves us, but hates us. And so that's because we're creating God. We are also creating God in our own image. Yes. We don't know enough about God to not create God. We, right? we, we put something in the hole where the mystery is. It can be kindness. It can be love. Like my favorite Hebrew words are chesed, you know, like God's mercy, God's loving kindness, God's fidelity, you know, We can fill the hole with that, with loving, kindness, goodness, generosity. We can fill the hole with, well, damn, we acted really bad, so God made a flood. See? That's how it is. And then made a rainbow and said, I won't do it again, but we'll do it again. If you don't do it right, you're going to go to hell and burn forever, ever, ever, forever. What kind of unfortunate storytelling is that? It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And, when, and when I say personally, it stopped making sense to me, you know, the personal place where I wanted to die. I did not want to live. Mm. I broke up with a boy because my marriage failed. What? Like, God is going to hate that. My parents hate that. I had a car accident as a punishment for not being a good girl. Like, what kind of crap? What? What? I did not want to survive because I felt like I had failed God. I just cannot believe, I cannot believe how many young people die because they get given a bad God to love. Mm. A punitive, puny, pissy ass, you know, cranky, moody, malevolent, nefarious God to love. And I just refused to work for that God. I was like, that's got to go. That, that is not happening. I'm not going to be in relationship with that kind of human. And I'm not going to be in that kind of relationship with that kind of deity. So I just started searching our texts, our Christian texts, 
and other holy texts for the, the, the synoptic, if you will, the same view. And God is love is it. That's it. That's, that's, the, that's the plumb line. God is love. Love is God. Love is the way and the truth and the life. And no one gets to love but through love, right? Just I just had to let it go. I just let go of the other crap. If it's not, if I can't proof text it with love, if I can't preach it with love, if I can't heal it with love, I'm just not doing it. Period. So I understand that I understand psychodynamically how we got here to the place where there are whole rituals and systems to make sure that we keep people out. But that's not my business. That's not my job. My job is to fling open the doors with a holy imagination and creativity and joy so people find themselves in loving relationship to each other and to the holy other who's also inside of us. Like otherwise, I'm just, I just, I can't do it. So that, that's what happened to me is I had a conversion that saved my life. And I feel like that's my job is to convert the world to love. Well, whether the listeners wanted to or not, we just all went to church for four and a half minutes, five <laughs> minutes. I mean, <coughs> that's it right there is I had a similar conversion, if you will. I came to a, a fork in the road, and it was really simple. It was, I am, I am, I, I rejected that this God, a this 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 nefarious, always mad, <laughs> always angry, don't cross them ever. God, I refused to. It wasn't like I was rejecting something that's actually real. I'm saying that's made up. Right. Like that's not that's not a real that's not that's not a real God. Because God is love. Jesus, oh. when pressed and asked, boil it down for us. What's it all about? Love. Love God, love your neighbor. That's it. He didn't That's say it. follow the rules, don't, you know, don't have sex before you're married, definitely don't masturbate, and don't eat these <laughs> things, and don't go there, and don't do drugs, obviously, and all these things. He didn't list off all these things. He simplified it down to love and love. It was both love. It was all love. Love God, love neighbor, love self. That's it. Yes. Love period. Yes. And so I'm 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 so thrilled. Let's jump into the book now. Um and 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 I want you to I want to give sort of a an intro why this book is so special, not just to me, but I, I want everyone to get it and read it. So here's why I, I said at the beginning that there was some like parallels between how you and I uh well how you're communicating this idea and how I've communicated, let's give a damn. So I am I am a type A always go. I'm an Enneagram eight. If there's a problem, I need to fix it. I want to fix it. I won't rest until it's fixed. And that's obviously impossible. You know, like there's so much going on. So I, I, every single day, I feel like I'm not doing enough, right? I'm not doing enough. I'm not getting enough done. I'm not helping enough people. And I was, I got to a point a couple of years ago, a couple of years into this, let's give a damn project, whatever it was and whatever it's becoming burnt out, Never feeling good enough, never feeling like I was doing enough for enough people, you know, having to reject emails and phone calls. And I can't, I can't do more. I simply can't do more. And I had to start, I've always been bad at self-care, always bad, always everybody's needs before mine, always serving other people to my detriment, to my unhealth, et cetera. And so I 
you're gonna you're gonna see the parallels here in a second. I came up with three simple steps for becoming a damn giver, hmm. and a damn giver is very par- it's very parallel to someone who loves, who loves. Because yes. all, this all stems from love. It all comes from love. And the three steps that I don't follow all that well, but I'm learning and I'm calling other people to, is number one, you have to start with giving a damn about yourself. You have to start there. Because if my tank is on, you know, if I'm on an eighth of a tank, but I'm trying to act as if I've got a full tank, I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to hurt my partner. I'm going to hurt my kids. I'm going to hurt every, everybody. Everybody's going to get hurt. So I've got, so before you do anything else, before you try to save the world, before you try to lead middle church, before you try to save New York City, we've got to take care of ourselves. Then once that is taken care of, or that's a, that's a work in action, you know, after we're, we're working on that, we then can give a damn about each other. That's not everybody. Right. Those are the people that when we're going to pour into them, they're going to pour into us. That's our family, our partner, our kids, our coworkers. Those are people that we see on a regular basis. They have a vested interest in seeing us succeed and, and vice versa. And then when that is healthy, right, once that ecosystem is healthy, then we can launch out to give a damn about others because yeah. now the others aren't necessarily going to say thank you. They're not going to reciprocate. They're not going to always be giving back to us. But our tank is not going to get empty because we've got the each other and the self figured out, right? right. So I yeah. so I so I crack open your book, <laughs> and it's right there, <laughs> you, yours, and ours. Right. And right. I love so much about the language, uh, so much about the the language that you formulated around this plan for for living really a successful life. So why don't you take us through? I want to give people enough about this book that they maybe they've already pressed pause and they've gone and ordered it from their local bookstore, not, not, not Amazon. Fine. Get it from, get it from Amazon if you need to, but try your local bookstore first. I like the yeah. right. um, so give them enough that they want to go read this thing, but take us through uh, the three really important sections of this book that lead us as the subtitle says down a bold path to ferocious courage and rule breaking kindness that can heal the world. And I also saw on your website, I love this too, a manifesto for all generations, a universalist vision for mending our broken hearts and fractured world. And we need this more than ever and in so many ways. So take us through the book. Um, sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you, Nick. I'm so glad we're getting to talk finally, and I want to do it more. more. Me too. Me too. Um, so this this idea of that God is, that thing y'all are calling God is wrong. That's been cooking in my body for 15 years, maybe, but especially the last nine or so. And I kept trying to think about what, you know, how do I help people to see it differently and did that in preaching and stuff. But finally, I realized that it wasn't really even trying to get people to convert to love, to God. I just want people to get to love. And the two paths that got me to love is what we just said. All the world's major religions have something in there about love your neighbor as yourself. Everything. The ones I can't pronounce, right? All of them. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Don't withhold some, from someone that which you need. The sick tradition, it's not seek, everybody is sick, says don't break anyone else's heart. Mm. Oh my God, what? Don't break anyone else's heart. Okay, that's a good ethic right there. So that stream of love neighbor, love self, but also Ubuntu, which is this South African... Zulu philosophy that I bumped into actually reading leadership books. Um, the fifth principle. Yeah. 
the fifth discipline, the fifth discipline, um, was the first place I saw it. And then I dived into it and uh, went to South Africa a few times. This idea that a human is a human through other humans. A human is a human through other humans. Um, I am because you are. Uh, King would say we're inextricably connected one to the other, woven in a garment of humanity. What affects you affects me. Oh my God, that's everything. I'm like, oh, that's everything. I like to think that these South African people, because we're all African, preceded, you know, these religions, since we're all African from the cradle of civilization, thank you. But this philosophy of, you know, who's going to make the fire? Okay, I'm going to go get the goat. Okay, you know, who's got the kids? You know, right? A community of people mm-hmm. all using their particular gifts to make sure the community flourishes. That's what this is. Mandela was able to love the humanity of his captors 28 years in jail. You know, this is Desmond Tutu's philosophy. I'm not trying to love, I'm not trying to be in jail and love the people, but this energy is human. And so those two things came together to make me think, what kind of love is this? This love is revolutionary. I did a conference for uh, 15 years with my colleague and friend, Valerie Cord and others called Revolutionary Love. It's revolutionary love. It's just love, but it's fierce love. And I'm Looking in the dictionary, what does the word fierce mean? Yes, this is what it is. <laughs> it's risk-taking. Um, aggressive. Assertive. I will jump in the water and grab you when you're drowning kind of love. I will stop you from crossing into the street because you're not paying attention, because you're on your phone. Like that kind of love. I will walk up flights and flights of stairs to feed old people kind of love. I will go to Memphis when I know my life has been threatened kind of love, Dr. King. I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to say I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Get back up and go across the bridge again, John Lewis kind of love. The kind of love that is the kind of love that Rabbi Jesus had for us to feed the hungry people when they didn't have a credit card, to give, to heal them when they didn't have health care, right? To lay down, um, to lay down our stuff to make a better world. This is fierce. And that's what's in the book. And it's three circles. Love you. Because I actually think, Nick, that maybe what's wrong with the world is people are loving each other the way they love themselves. And they don't love themselves, so they don't love other people. They hate themselves. They loathe themselves. They're wounded people. They're broken hearts moving around the world, making policy and laws, moving around the world, putting white racists on the Supreme Court. I mean, they don't love themselves and therefore that's how they behave. So how do we cultivate a real um, non-possessive delight in the uniqueness of ourselves? How do we love ourselves? So we fully can then, second part of the book, love our posse. And then the third part of the book is love the world. And the steps along the way are telling the truth. You can't lie your way to love. Mm. Tell the truth to yourself, about yourself. Quit the BS. Lay down your burden. Some of us are, I'm just going to keep being the one that's wounded because it makes me feel good. You got to lighten up that shit. Let some of that shit go. (laughs) Don't stop sweating the small stuff and keep it moving. Um, uh, uh, Speaking the truth in all of our relationships, showing wild kindness uh, toward each other, like rule-breaking kindness, 
the Muslim woman is standing in front of you in the grocery store and the kid's crying and the people are sitting her daggers. Why don't you talk to the kid? Why don't you dismantle that moment of hatred and pain? Um, yeah, nine steps to increase our tribe, to take risks, to be morally courage, courageous, and to be fierce and unselfish in our love. And, and, and you're in agreement with me, right? That's that that section one has to be not mastered, right? Because we're never masters of any of this, but we do have to work on that self before we before we can go to the yours and then to the ours, right? Because like you just said something that just just I mean light bulbs went off in my head that the reason that we're in the position we're in, socioeconomically, economically, politically, uh, all of the lees. We're in the position we're in because we don't love ourselves. We have no idea how to love ourselves. So there are millions, uh, actually billions of hurt people, hurt people, right? It's just happening over and over again. And because we can't even figure out how to get healed ourselves, we go out and try to save the world, quote unquote, and to save those around us but it's gonna always suck so badly and it's always gonna end badly because we can't even save ourselves. We can't even figure out how to be healthy on a daily basis. We're running around. I mean, if, if you could take all of the wounds and all the things that we're going through and make them physical uh, physical uh, pictures of it, we'd be walking around with bandages all over. I mean, just, just gooping, you know, oozing wounds and our heads in a bandage. And we've got all these things and people be like, why are you walking around like that? Like, why are you walking around? You're so injured. Go to the hospital. We're like, right. no, I got it. I, 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 I can, okay. I can figure it out. Right? Like, that's what we all are. If you could just again give a physical picture to all the stuff we're going through, I would, I would force you to go to the hospital right away. What are you doing out here, Jackie? Like, you're hurt. Yeah, take yourself to the hospital. And I think you know, Nick. In some ways, it would be like in an ideal prescription. I'd be saying, work on you, then work on your people, then work on the world. And we don't have the luxury all the time of that kind of time. So, so rather than linear, I want to say that think about these as, you know, the, the Venn diagram, you know, overlapping circles. And sometimes your sweet spot's going to be in that little oval right there because you're feeling centered and right. But sometimes you really got to just stop and love you, do the love you homework. Because if you don't, you're not gonna ever get back to center again. So center to me feels like I'm loving myself, I'm loving my people, and I'm loving my world. And in the, and the sweet spot is joy, resistance, resilience, peace, right? Kindness, because I'm okay. When you're not okay, you're just a cranky bitch. And that is the truth, right? Yeah. <laughs> you gotta work on that. But, but I think the way I tried to write this, Nick, is you know, pick it up over and over again and go back, go back to chapter two, you know, take yourself back to speak the truth because you went into a meeting and you weren't real, right? Because why? You thought if you told the truth in the meeting, you'd lose your job, right? So you went home and you had a stomach ache and you drank too much to make yourself feel better because you knew you should have told the truth in the meeting, right? So forgive yourself. Next time, do better, right? Um, for somebody else, it might be, you know, I had the opportunity to do a ridiculously kind thing, but I was in such a hurry, I refused to. That person was hungry. I didn't want to give them money, but truly the subway was right there. We could have gone in and bought a sandwich, but I didn't do that, right? So so next time I'm going to be thinking to myself, can I have granola bars in my backpack? You know, just keep working on what would love have me do? That was my mother's question to me. What would love 
have you do. Try to do that. I love that so much. That's even helpful for me to be reminded um, because I, the way my brain works, because I have such extreme ADHD and I'm always everywhere, I'm, 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 I overcompensate by trying to make everything logical and make sense. And so, but you just gave me and us a helpful reminder that, yeah, in an ideal world, we figure out one, we master it, and then we go on to, you know, we figure out you, then we can master yours, and then ours, and then, you know, we're, we're home oh, scot-free yeah. because we just yeah. can uh, literally go save the world. But that's not how it works. The yeah. Venn diagram is a great way to look at it where, we're, you know, today I'm focusing on this, today I'm focusing on that. And we, yeah, try to live in that that sweet spot right in the middle. You know, you talk ju- joy, justice, resilience right there in the middle, holding all this stuff in tension because from now until our dying breath, we're not going to figure it all out. We're not going fill- to figure it all out. And sometimes there's just absolute conflict in what, like, what we need versus what somebody else needs. That's just true. So to love you and to love someone else can be... A, a diametrically opposed moment. I don't want to tell on my business because some of my people might be listening to this podcast. But right now, uh, you know, the the choice to rebuild Middle Church is a choice to not do something. It, it, it will constrain some resource, right? So look, when I was a younger woman, it, I'd have been in the room like, okay, my name is Placido Domingo and I'm, you know, like, no, that's not true. But also, I don't go... You must do what I need. There's another choice. There's a third way where I can be honest to say I can feel that this choice will constrain the resources over here. But let me tell you why I think we can do it. And let's see how we can collaborate together to loosen up some resources for all of us. You know, the the love that is fierce cannot be just self-focused. But if fierce love is never self-focused, it's not love. Yeah. Codependency or, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's get, as we begin to wrap up here today, and I hope that we can do this again because I have so much more to Tomorrow. ask, ask you and <laughs> that's right, ask you and learn from you. How do we practically take this to the next step? Yeah. A lot of the people that listen to this show are like me, where we're still, you know, learning, learning the, the, the ropes of this life and we're learning how to live. Uh, holistically, we're learning how to love fiercely. And there's so many terrible things happening. Um, So many people that I want to go. And as we talked about 40 minutes ago or so, like just, I want to go kick ass. I don't want to be nice. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to try to have a dialogue with you, right? There's a lot of talk right now. and, And I'm on board with that talk about like, you know, I even say it with, let's give a damn fewer walls, longer bridges, bigger tables. Like I'm all about it. Like if you're willing to learn, if you're not absolutely staunchly, you know, planted in your horrific position of white supremacy or racism or whatever, like let's talk, come over for a meal. We'll have some drinks. We'll get tipsy and we'll talk about where we can find common ground. So I'm not talking about those people. There's just a lot of really bad things out there right now. There's a, there's a lot of actual racists and white supremacists, uh, in misogynists in our politics. They're, they're making the decisions on yeah. the behalf of uh, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in this country. And we're seeing the effects of that, you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, downstream. And we have, we I don't know how you feel about our new mayor. I'm not horribly pleased with what's happening right now. I, 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 did, not, I did not vote for him. I came in with great expectation that I would be wrong. And so far I'm not. And so there's just a lot going on. And I feel a lot of different ways each and every day. How do we take this fierce love 
not just idea, because you've given it's not an idea anymore. You've given us practical steps here, nine different chapters, um, nine different steps. But how do we? What's a first step we can take if we're saying I'm going to make the decision to engaging? I'm going to make the decision to f- use this fierce love idea concept and begin, uh, you know, using it in my everyday life instead of going to despair, instead of going toward hatred, instead of typing out that tweet that I really want to type out or whatnot. What what first step? would you recommend people that are listening uh, do very practically that would get them on the, besides just reading the book, right? That's the first step. Yeah. I think, I think the very first thing, and I don't get to do this often on podcasts, it won't take long, but I just want to say the very first thing is to love yourself unconditionally. It all starts here. And someone will say, how do you love yourself? And I go, you got to know yourself. So like you're on a date with somebody like you and I are going to decide to have dinner and get tipsy and learn the thing. Yep. I'm going to be exploring you. What's up? What, where'd you come from? What's your story? What's your origin story? What, what your mama name is? You know, what, whatever, right? So there's a way in which we have to face ourselves, Nick. I, I'm going to only love myself if I can face myself. Now that might make that might make therapy important or coach or spiritual direction or just journaling. But to really love myself, this girl, this weight, this overbite, this gray hair that needs a touch up, you know, this tender heart, this temper, you know, whatever it is, it's really me. Like, look at it, own it, scan for it, be with it, enjoy it, eat a grape, have a nice glass of wine and say, I am shiny and fabulous and amazing because I was made in the image of God and I wasn't, I'm, that's it. I'm badass. So got to spend some time with ourselves. And then I think along with that is speaking the truth. I, I am hurt when people ignore me. Okay, that's your truth. I am saddened by the way my oldest son never calls home. Okay, that's your truth. Um, Gosh darn it, I feel like I'm petty, but I want to kick the shit out of my neighbor because her flowers are better than mine. Whatever. Own your stuff. Yeah. Because if you don't own your stuff, you can't love your stuff. And then get ready to let some of it go. Like that first chapter is about letting go, get your trunk-sized shit down to a fanny pack, you know, forgive your unforgiven wounds because they're going to make you sick. Stop. No one is going to change in your system but you. Mm. No one is going to change in your system but you. So if you want the world better, love you, be honest with you, work on your shit, and then see how things will change. That's one with three steps. And then you start turning that kind of curiosity and love to your people. Nick, if you can love, if I can love the craziness of Jackie, her little twerks and things, Mm. then I can love the craziness of my neighbor. If I can practice loving the strangeness of me, then I can love the stranger. So it does start with you. It absolutely does. I love that. I mean, that is a great place to start. Um, I love that so much. It's Black History Month yes. now, but as you pointed out at the beginning, it's always Black History Month. We shouldn't. Yeah. It, the, the, I, I, I have. I'm sure you do too. I, as a as a, Latin, a Latinx guy, like I have a, a love hate relationship whenever it comes around again, right? Or these other these other <laughs> times you dedicate because I'm like, this is part. This is part of our history all the time, you know. Like, stop just bringing, you know. Uh, it just so happened we've been trying to do this for a couple months. I'm not having you on the podcast because it's Black History Month. It just so happened that we're here uh, doing it now. But a- as you think about your life and this month and your history, who 
is keeping you going? Sure. I, I could say what, and I could say, I could, I could ask for like bigger ideas, but like they could be dead or alive. Who's keeping you going right now? Who is encouraging you? Who is inspiring you? Who is speaking to you uh, during this season of your life that maybe someone will hear a name in this one or two or three people that you list in, in a second, um, and they might go and explore that person as well for the good that they have to bring, that they brought to you? There's, there's a lot of folks, but I'm going to do three women and one man. I'll do them quick. Sherilyn Eiffel mm. of the LDF. She's, I think this is her last year there, and she is one of the smartest, kindest. I've met her once or twice, but just follow her if you're looking for someone to, to guide you to some wisdom. Her tweets are always rich. She's referring to something. She's making an analysis. She's a great historian. She's a lawyer. I love her. I love her. Um, Ida Bay Wells is her handle, but it's in Hannah Jones of the mm. 1619 Project. God, can we have dinner, honey? She's so brilliant, so brave, and so bold that she inspires me to keep speaking truth. My mom died four years ago, but I feel her so present and the stuff she stuck in me that bubbles up. And, you know, I can hear her say often, how are you precious? Do something good for you today. And I think she inspired the book with that right there. And four is a white man named John, a white feminist man who's 14 years older than me, who's my husband, whose name is John. And he is my best anti-racist partner. I uh, wrote a big blog right now for Medium, John Jenka. And when I get ready to do they about white people, Nick, because I do, sometimes I'm like, what's wrong, with, what's wrong with white people today? I, I'm not feeling the white people. I'm reminded when I look at John, like, yeah, you can't say they about white people. Like, you can't say they about black people. There's nuances and good people in every stripe. And he keeps me honest about my, my desire to heal the world. I love that. I'm, I'm glad you're surrounded uh, physically and in the spirit world with these amazing people. I'm sorry for the loss of your mom. And I, I, I haven't lost, uh, you know, any parents yet at this point. But... Um, you know, just lost my brother-in-law, you know, last month and, 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 and the, 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 the ways that they continue to speak to us and oh. the ways they continue to be with us. Right. It's just, it's, it's really beautiful. And obviously we'd prefer that they were here in person. Right. But it's so, it's so beautiful how they continue to live on in our hearts and in our memories and how we can almost physically like, you know, hear them speaking to us as Absolutely. we continue, as we continue to go through life. So that is the resurrection. I'm convinced the mm. way those people are still present. Yeah. I love that. I love that idea. I love that. Okay, as we wrap up here, uh, what do you want people to go look for, buy, partake in? You've got so much going on. I could list them off, but why don't you list yeah. uh, you know, some of the things that you want people to go look at after they're done here? Yeah. Friends, first of all, anytime people listen to you talk, uh, uh, Nick is a great conversation partner, but I'm so grateful for you being here. And I want to invite you to um, go to middlechurch.org where my public life is interlaced with this most beautiful community of people who are of every ethnicity and tribe and 
sexual orientation and gender and just going, doing good work. So if you want to hear some good music, if you want to hear some good sermons, if you want to jump in and do some good small groups, we are every Sunday worshiping at 1145. In your pajamas, you can come right now and be with us at middlechurch.org or just check out the YouTube pages and find something inspirational. Um, my personal website is JackieJLewis.com. Jackie J. Lewis, it's not the most amazing website in the world, but there's stuff there and buy the book anywhere you buy books. And when you buy the book, um, you're just, you're just, you're actually honoring a black woman author, to be honest. Uh, Penguin Random House believed in me and wrote a book. And if you want to support black female authors, buy this one. People notice when you buy. And also uh, 10% of everything I earn on this book has gone to and will go to Middle Church until I die to help Middle Church be a revolutionary force in the world. Do that. Follow Sherilyn Eiffel. Um, don't let anybody tell you to ban books. Damn that banning books shit. And find all the ones that they're banning and know that those are the ones you should read, especially the ones about black and brown people, so that you can make our stories your stories, and together we can heal the world. I love that. I love that so much. I will link to all of those things in uh, the show notes, friends that are listening. And yes, if you are disillusioned by the church, if you hate the church, if you've been burned by the church, if you want a reprieve from all of that and feel hope for a little bit that there's something different out there, please do visit middlechurch.org. Um, check out what Jackie and her people believe in and, and how they're living it out. It really, again, even if you don't participate in it, it'll be refreshing. It'll be a reminder that not everything is super fucked up as it seems uh, <laughs> in the world. Uh, it's very, very refreshing. A, a glass of spiritual uh, water. Um, oh Jackie, you're amazing. Thank you so much for this book. Thank you so much for this conversation. I hope we can do it again. And yes. um, you're awesome. Come to my come to love period. We'll get you there and we'll talk some more about fierce love. Thank you so much for giving a damn Nick. I'm glad you're here in the world. Thank you. Friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for showing up, for spending some time with us this week. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please, please, please show up next week. That's the most important thing. We have many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins, and the team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda, and you can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.